Will you join me in a moment of prayer? Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the thoughts and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our creator, redeemer, sustainer. Amen. So in our scripture reading today from Mark, we encounter a crowd and a speaker. We've got lots of those in our lives right now, don't we? Iowa and New Hampshire have been given peace and quiet after being bombarded with interviews and analysis, and now the pundits have moved on, haven't they? Lots of speakers, lots of crowds. However, today we have Jesus, and there is a twist to this seemingly familiar event. Jesus enters the synagogue and he offers a new teaching, a teaching with authority. We don't know what that is, that teaching is. All we hear is our view from the outside, is that those who listened were astounded and they noted that his teaching was not like the scribes that they were used to. Before we could even inquire what precisely this was that Jesus was saying, how his words could truly do, make such a difference to, to us inspire awe. Before we even get that far, we're broadsided with action, aren't we? Fast and furious, into this Jewish synagogue appears a raucous man with an unclean spirit roaring and convulsing. The man names Jesus and challenges him, and he is healed. And in that moment, the authority of Jesus takes on a new dimension, no longer the words only. This is authority, authority indeed as well. And not only can Jesus speak with authority, he can do the deed. He is a healer, a game changer, and that is the true beginning of Jesus' ministry. This Jewish man who traveled throughout the region of Galilee and beyond, the people who had seen his healing, not just heard his words, but had seen the healing with their own eyes, they were amazed. Words, words matter, don't they? Yet good are empty promises, words uttered to convince a listener without really coming from the speaker's conviction. When all of us get, when all of us get our words, there are no actions behind the words. That's not authority of the speaker, is it? And I think that speaker should be questioned because Jesus follows words with powerful actions. His authority is established. He's one to be trusted, one who speaks and then acts in accordance with those words. He's unlike the leaders of the synagogue and scribes who have plenty to say, but little to do. For Jesus, it's not all about talk. For Jesus, it's got to, you have to walk the walk as well. So I'd like you to notice a couple things this morning with me. I'd like you to notice, first of all, 
that Jesus is a Jew. Jesus, who we profess to believe in and whose way we seek to follow. This Jesus is Jewish. He follows the traditions and the beliefs of his upbringing. He goes to synagogue on the Sabbath day. He reads from the Torah and then he teaches from it. I think this is something that we really need to think about. We need to hear and we need to embrace, especially right now with all the rhetoric of hate and anti-Semitism in our world. Jesus is not blonde and blue-eyed. Jesus is from the Middle East. He was and is a man of color. Jesus is not a Christian. He was a Jewish teacher who moved from place to place, teaching a different perspective. Or maybe it wasn't such a different perspective. I think many people like us need to be reminded about God, don't we? We need to be reminded of that godly way. We need to be reminded often. And I think Jesus understood that that connection to God, but that connection looked like. Jesus lived that connection fully. He did not think violence was a good choice, so he said, forgive one another. Jesus didn't think division and hatred would get us to a better place, so he said, love one another as God loves you. Jesus didn't think long prayers and rigid dietary rules were essential for faith, so he talked about a simple faith, faith as tiny as a mustard seed. Jesus did not believe that Samaritans were an inferior race, so he told a parable about the good Samaritan and a bad priest. I think Jesus learned these things from the Torah. And I also think he learned them from his mother, Mary. Mary was a nobody from Nazareth. She was a woman, she was a second-class citizen. But Mary, who found favor with her God, she was the one who heard a voice. Mary was filled with the Spirit of God, and she spoke her truth in the Magnificat, her truth about wisdom, her vision of authority in an upside-down world. And I think some of her experience, some of her life story rubbed off on her son, Jesus. So we've got this teacher, and our scripture says he spoke with authority. Now I need to tell you that authority still makes me kind of crazy, even after all these years. Um, especially if you say you're speaking on behalf of God or that God is on your side. Uh, for me, that makes me run in the opposite direction and you are op automatically suspect in my eyes. Anyone else have that problem? <laughs> a bunch of years ago, a friend of mine, a bride who was getting married in a few days, was informed by her mother that 
She could not marry her fiancé because her mother had received a vision from God and God had told her this fact. Well, the wedding went forward, sadly without the bride's parents, but 35 plus years they seemed to be doing just fine. It's probably a good thing that the gospel writer did not record Jesus' speech because if he had uttered those words, I would probably be running the opposite direction. To my teacher friends, to those who still walk the talk, and to those who are retired, I've gotta tell you, I just so admire you, and you are so awesome. When you are a teacher, you have a tremendous amount of authority, and that authority is not all about power is it? But it is the ability to form and to connect and to inspire. My sister Jan worked for Ottawa Area Center and her job was to write lessons for plans with kids that have learning disabilities and physical disabilities. Now that's a job with power, isn't it? <laughs> I have to tell you, she is amazing. But her job was more than just writing lesson plans and listening. It was also about paying attention to what was going on with her students. What was going on in the child's home? Was the child hungry? Did the child appear to be neglected or abused? Did the child and his family have the resources they needed for success in this lesson plan? even if those were just incremental. I think today's scripture shows us that Jesus was that kind of teacher too. Jesus shows us that stopping and paying attention to a person's needs doesn't dilute the gospel. It is the message of the gospel, isn't it? The other thing, that I want you to notice today is this disruption. This loud, noisy guy. Our translation says the man had an unclean spirit. Other translations say he is possessed by a demon or evil spirits. Again, that's a puzzle for me. I'm not a medical person and I'm not a psychologist, so I don't quite know what to do with that. There's many explanations floating out there, epilepsy, convulsions, a psychotic event, whatever it was, Jesus handled it. Jesus healed and people were amazed. This man disrupted Jesus' teachings and his life was transformed. Take a few moments to just think about the things that sometimes disrupt your life, maybe just lately. I know that big snowstorm that we had a couple weeks ago and that blizzard sure disrupted my life. Maybe the snow days that followed and the sick days, COVID making its new presence again known. For lots of us, it's many different things in it that disrupt our patterns. Now I've got to tell you that sometimes disruptions for me are books. The Georgetown Library 
that's near me has a book club. Yep, I'm in Ottawa County, and yes, I know we're famous. <laughs> um, but sometimes surprises come from all of that too. The first book that we were assigned for 2024 was a book called Poverty by America by a gentleman called Matthew Desmond. By the way, I highly recommend the book. I heard him interviewed, first of all, on PBS, and I was intrigued. And then I heard him speak a week and a half ago or so with the Calvin January series. Um, I think you can still download his uh, presentation yet through, I think, the middle of February. Anyway, I was determined to go to that meeting because I was really curious about other people's opinions and their reactions to this book. And I sat next to this lady that I had never seen before, and we got to talking, and she shared that she had just retired from Grand Rapids Public Schools as a secretary. And she said that during her career, it fell to her to deal with poverty and its effects on the students in her class, in her school. She said the hard part was it never, never ended. There was always another need. There were no times off for herself either from the trauma. And so she said she was worried about this group that they may add to her trauma. But she said to me, I figure I'll just leave if that happens. But I believe she was surprised, as was I, by the support and the discussion and the thoughtfulness of the folks in that group. Matthew Desmond looks at poverty with a different lens for me. He disrupted my life. And then there is a second book. Gotta love this group. The second book was called A Fever in the Heartland, and it's by a gentleman called Timothy Egan. The subtitle of his is The Ku Klux Klan's Plot to Take Over America and the woman who stopped them. I love that part. <laughs> Some of the words in that book made me feel like I was listening to things going on in my country right now. Did you know that in 1920, 30s, and 40s, the headquarters of the Ku Klux Klan was in Indianapolis, Indiana, five hours from here. Again, that book disrupted my thoughts, made me think of things different, but I loved the woman that changed it and stopped them. And then get this, February's book is gonna be King, A Life, and that's by a gentleman called Jonathan Ng, and it's about Martin Luther King. So I'm looking forward to my life being disrupted again, and I invite all of you to join so think about, what are the disruptions in your life? What makes the patterns go away? So again, imagine this guy with unclean spirit who has disturbed a sacred space. He comes into a holy place and creates chaos. He challenges Jesus. The arc of that confrontation begins to unfold the moment Jesus 
standing in the midst of a sacred space, demands that the demon depart. We've got this sacred space, don't we? We've got these soaring arches. We've got beautiful music and a beautiful organ. We have candles. We have light streaming through our stained glass windows that are works of art. We have this calm space to worship, to meditate, to think. We also have a building that's empty most of the hours of the week, except, of course, Sally's office. Pastor Nason has had some words about that in his book, in his Facebook page, and he seems to think that's all wrong. And I think we as a church have started to move towards opening our sacred space to others. But it's hard, isn't it? Giving up control, wondering about liability insurance, and wondering about that heat that's going out the door. So I wonder, what will be our next disruption? And how, we, how will we as a church family deal with it? You know, this is the early part of Mark's gospel, but all through it, religious leaders seemed to be at odds with Jesus. If he was only a healer, why were, were the people in charge and upset with him? You'd think that if Jesus was simply going around his business healing people that were sick, the leaders would find a way to, to bless his efforts. I think sometimes that has to do with occupying their sacred space, their synagogue. This space, this building right here, right now, is not really sacred in a broad way. And thus, in, in disrupting it threatens nothing other than our own private and deeply personal experiences here. Take a breath and think about this space that we occupy right now. And then think about Jesus. What was really going on with him and those synagogue leaders? Jesus was in a sacred space, but Jesus was, I think, was looking for more. Jesus was threatening to occupy space that was sacred to a broad social, on a broad social scale and threatening to disrupt social, political, and economic relationships as well as those private devotional ones by asserting his authority in that space. And that has me wondering, what space would Jesus occupy today to disrupt our social, political, and economic structures? In contemporary American politics and culture, is anything really authentically sacred? I think Jesus leaves us to figure that out. Because the story says Jesus left, taking his authority with him, so I would imagine, to other places so that they could become sacred as he continues to heal and to teach and to care for people that came to him while he disrupted the systems elsewhere. 
In closing, I would like you to think about this unclean spirit. This spirit that names Jesus. He says to Jesus, you are the Holy One of God. Jesus commanded that spirit to leave. What if Jesus had named that spirit? What if Jesus had named the evil that he had sought? I believe there is power in naming the evil, the wrongs, just as the authors Matthew Desmond and Timothy Egan did. What would we name? What controls us? And then the hard question, what price are we willing to pay? This past Thursday, Bern and I and our friends John and Cheryl attended Civic Theater and their production called Clyde's. Now Clyde's is a restaurant and the name of the restaurant owner. The setting on the stage was a backroom kitchen where sandwiches were being prepared. Now Clyde has a very interesting skill set for running a restaurant. Her thing was power. Her thing was intimidation. Her thing was arrogance. She had spent some time in prison, just like her four employees. She used power. She tells her employees that if they don't do exactly what she says and they do, if they don't do it fast enough, she's gonna report them to her, their parole officers. She also tells them that they are replaceable. She also tells them that they're basically nobodies. We in the audience get to hear their backstories. We get to see their relationships change. We, we see them as they find their value, their personhood, their belovedness. And for me, that's what the gospel is all about. We, all of us, are beloved of God. We are loved by a God who is love. And when we live our lives seeing God in people around us, everyone that we meet, we become the good news of the gospel. We become Jesus' body, right here, right now. Amen.